Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Well, hey, welcome back to Midweek. Glad you guys are joining us tonight. Even though it is um, raining, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but tonight's going to be a little bit different than uh, normal. Um, I had someone ask a few questions uh, last week. Um, let me start out by saying you don't have to uh, agree with everything that I say. That's, that's okay. Um, uh, you may have a slightly different interpretation of, of certain scriptures. Doesn't mean I think you're a heretic. Doesn't mean I think you're going to hell. Um, now it depends on what you might disagree with me on, or you might have some more heated conversations. Um, but a lot of the things that we talk about, I mean, have been debated for centuries. And uh, I had some people ask some questions last week, and that's uh, totally good. I don't mind a, a little bit of uh, uh, pushback or some questions. And if I don't know, uh, I'm going to say I, I don't know. Uh, and so I had, like I said, I had someone write down three questions, and I kind of had a, a, a short answer that I could have given them, but they just handed to me and, and walked off. And so tonight I wanted to take some time and, you know, I'm, I'm like, what good is, is a Bible study? You know, what good is, is learning if you have questions and we don't answer them? Um, and so, you know, I don't want to use it as a cop-out, but last week I said that no one really understands how the sovereignty of God and human response works together. And, and I'm okay with not knowing. I'm, not, I'm okay with not understanding that because if I could understand everything about God, if everything about God could be fit into my tiny little pea brain, then we'd serve a pretty limited God. And so there's a lot of things about God that I am not going to understand, and I'm okay with that. However, that doesn't negate our response, our responsibility to dig into Scripture and try to understand. Um, and so, you know, there are, there are going to be uh, topics in the Bible, and if I'm leading a Bible study, then I'm going to come down on one side or the other of those. I'll try to present different sides. But if you're going to ask me to, to lead, I'm going to come down on a certain side. And uh, hopefully it's, it's done with care. It's done with uh, thoughtfulness. It's done um, doing, doing my research on my end. And if you have a different viewpoint, I still love you. Um, there are things that Justin and I don't agree on 100%. Um, he asks me questions. I ask him questions. And guess what? We both love each other. We both love Jesus. We both love this church. We work great together. So um, th- th- we want to make sure that, uh, that, you know, that, we, that we're all um, following Christ. I've heard someone say, hey, major on the majors and minor on the minors. Um, and so, um, you know, I think some of the things I'm like, nope, I'm going to stick to my guns on, on the big issues. And then on the minors, hey, we can have a little disagreement, a little back and forth and move forward. Um, but I think tonight what I'm going to try to do is see if I can make mad and maybe just naturally just in midweek by no one wanting to show up because they don't agree with me. But hey, um, hopefully that doesn't happen. So um, we are going to talk about these few questions. And the last question actually kind of segues into Ephesians chapter two. So question number one, uh, we were last week we were talking about predestination found in Ephesians chapter one. We talked about it. And, uh, and so he had this question, what about people who come to Christ? Then they completely turn their back and don't want anything to do with Christ anymore. Uh, so 
there are a couple of ways to look at this question. I think the second way is kind of the, the area that we're going to focus on because the first way, um, two ways. One is you can see somebody um, profess faith in Christ and then fall into to major sin. Let's look at David, for example, in the Old Testament. Um, when David had Uriah killed and, and uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba, that wasn't like a week's span. Like there were months of, of that happening before Nathan confronted David and David repented. If you were to take a snapshot of David's life in those months, you might be like, does he even love God anymore? Right? But the Bible tells us that he's a man after God's own heart. So obviously something happened where you have people that profess Christ that stray, but then God's grace draws them back. The Holy Spirit convicts them and they come back to, uh, they repent and they come back to following Christ. Let's be honest. Do we always follow Jesus like we're supposed to? No. I'll be even more honest. There's, there's times where I'm stagnant in my walk with Christ. There's been times in my life where if you would have taken a snapshot of my life, you'd be like, does he love Jesus? But by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, um, I repent, I'm convicted. I have people in my life that hold me accountable and I come back and, and I get back to where I'm, I'm supposed to be. And so I don't think that's the way that this question was intended. What I think is, is more so is this idea, this theological term of apostasy, this falling away, this defection um, that happens. I think the question is more so geared towards someone completely abandoning their faith in Christ. Um, and so let's talk about it. So let's look at some scriptures that kind of hit on this topic. So we're, we're kind of have the same starting point. Let's look at Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. This is the, uh, the Greek word, um, uh, to fall away, to become faithless uh, from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. A few chapters later in Hebrews chapter 6, this is a, a really popular one for people to talk about as they talk about people falling away. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, peripito, fall away uh, in the Greek, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Second Thessalonians 2, 3 let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion, the apostasy, this is where we get our word, apostasy, um, the falling away, the defection comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, as he's talking about the signs of the end, he says, all of these are but the beginning of birth pains, and they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away, scandalizo, so we get our word scandalize, scandal. Um, and this is an idea of someone causing someone else to stumble or to fall away. Uh, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray because the lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow Cold. So we have several verses here that speak of falling away, stumbling, etc. So this idea of apostasy is, is rooted in Scripture. It's not this obscure term that people are just making up um, out of thin air. Uh, the first thing I would say is this. It's not really answering the question right now, but we're reading that verse in Hebrews chapter 3. And it says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading to fall away, the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Um, let me start out by say, uh, saying that this is not 
the job of the individual or the pastor alone, but it's the body of Christ um, to check in, to encourage, to hold each other accountable. Um, as much as we say, don't judge one another, this verse in Hebrews is telling us to watch out for red flags in each other that are pointing to signs of, of slipping away. Um, and, and man, what a novel idea for us to confess our sins to one another, to hold each other accountable, to bear each other's burdens. Uh, I was talking, um, to a couple guys a few weeks ago and just, they're asking some questions and um, the idea of confession came up and I, I said something along the lines, man, what a shame that we've given the Catholic church the corner on the market in confession that we've, you know, we talk about confession and red flags go up and we're like, well, that's something the Catholic church does. Well, the Bible also tells us to confess our sins one to another. Why? So that you're checking in with other people. And so that when people start to slip away, you say, no, 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 no. This is what Paul's saying. As long as it's called today, don't say, I'll check in with them next week. I'll check in with them tomorrow. No, no, as long as it's called today, encourage, exhort one another. Man, what a crazy idea um, that the body of Christ looks out for itself and makes sure that it's healthy. Sorry, that's just a, a tangent. But um, back, back to the question uh, of what about people that come to Christ but turn their back on him completely? So we've established some verses that point to this happening. Now, let me ask you another question. Um, can someone make a false profession of faith? Can, can, someone, can someone pray a prayer? Um, go through the motions, having professed faith, but never possessed faith. Is that something people can do? Yeah. Um, so let's look at some scriptures for this. First John uh, chapter two, verses 18 and 19. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. They were in our group. They were in our midst, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have what? They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but what? The one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Listen to this parable that Jesus uh, tells in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, It's a parable of the seeds that are scattered on the ground. And he told them many things in a parable saying, a sower went out to sow, And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has an ear, let him hear. So this passage is really interesting because the seed represents what? gospel, right? Some people would be like me throwing seed on the stage. It would just bounce off. doesn't even take root. Some seed takes a little bit of root, but then troubles of life come and they just kind of give up. Other seed takes a little bit more root. It grows, but then what happens? It's choked out. But then you have seed that falls on what? Good ground that springs up. So in this parable, Jesus is making this, this idea um, or, or this, this parallel that a lot of people will surface level accept the gospel, but it doesn't hold on. It doesn't really take root. Um, you know, and, and if we're talking about what, what happens to people if they profess faith in Christ and they turn their back completely on, like, how does that work? Um, Last week, we established that salvation is from God, it's by God, it's unto God, 
right? That he is the author and what of our faith? Finisher. Some translations say perfecter. That word means finisher. It means completer of our faith. Um, and so if you're asking me, again, I said this at the beginning, if you're asking me to take a side, to answer a question, I'm going to answer it in a way that I see that lines up with scripture. You may have a different interpretation. That's cool, but I'm taking a stand here. Um, some people call this, this idea once saved, always saved. You ever heard that idea? That, yeah, I think that's a terrible name for it because it, it gives this idea that, hey, I can pray a prayer and I can do whatever I want and I'm good. That is totally contrary to what scripture says at all, right? That, that doesn't jive. First Corinthians 10, 12 tells us to be mindful, to not get arrogant if we think we're standing, lest we fall. Um, and so, so my response to this original question is this, that if you have it, if you have a genuine faith, if you're in a state of saving grace, you'll never lose it. And if you lose it, you never really had it in the first place. Um, some of you guys don't like that. So let me explain a little bit more what I'm talking about using the word of God and not just, just words of Michael. So John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Romans chapter eight, verses 31 to 39, where it's a lot. So we're kind of going to, we'll hit most of it. But Paul writes this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Here we go. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians chapter one, verse six. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, what's the good work that God began in us? Salvation. That he will what? That he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then again, in Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking about the end times, he says this, he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this is the gospel of the kingdom will be pre- proclaimed through all the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, the elect. This passage in Matthew where Jesus is talking about falling away, later in that same passage, he uses, he says that false teachers and false prophets are going to do such great miracles that if it were possible, even the elect would fall away. When Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. There's a lot of grammar in these inflections, passive inflections that come to play that are way beyond my pay grade. Me no speak English real well. Um, But I'm reading this and I see Jesus use very, very similar language where he says, um, through God, all things are possible. And so he's making this implication that if it were possible, I know it's not, but if it were, even God's the, the signs and wonders would be so powerful that they could be drawn away. God, if it's possible, let me not have to die on the cross. But I know that's not your plan. I know that's not your will. All right? This is the exact same language that Jesus is, that Jesus uses. Um, 
And so, so the way I'm, I'm falling on this is what I said earlier, that if you have a true saving faith, you're not going to lose it. If you lose it, you never really had it. Why? Because there's a promise of God that what he started in our souls, he will finish. Um, we look at it out of examples out of Luke 15. You know, a lot of us love the story of the prodigal son. Um, he leaves the 99 to, to rescue the one. Who did the one belong to before it went astray? It belonged to the shepherd. It didn't belong to someone else. Who did the coins belong to before the, the lady found it? It belonged to her. The son was always the son. He strayed off, but he came back. And so we've got to understand this. And this is why I fall on the side of God choosing me, because if my salvation rests in my strength, man, I'm doomed. I'm doomed. Um, this is where I trust the work of the Holy Spirit in my life to convict me, to lead me, to guide me in his truths, not my own. Um, I walk in obedience, not on my own accord, not on my own ability, not on my own merit, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can keep going, but this is, this is where the Old Testament, this is where the law failed, is that it was this works-based system and it was never enough. And so if we think that salvation not the act of sanctification, not the act of walking in obedience, but salvation. If God is going to elect some, predestine some, call some, and that we have the ability to snatch ourselves out of God's hand, man, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, we walk in obedience because we have the power of Christ alive in us, because he has made us alive in him, that we will have an enduring, a lasting faith because of what Christ has started in our lives. Again, you may not agree with me, and that's fine. I still think you're going to heaven. All right, if you're walking in faith, you're walking in obedience in Christ, you are bearing good fruit. All right, but if you're asking me to answer a question, I'm going to answer it in a way that, um, that I see it. So there is that, that question. Question number two. Um, this one kind of ties into first, the first question a little bit. We're not going to spend a ton of time here. What if we think we are called to be a Christian? We go through the motions, but God did not call us or predestine us to himself. Um, like I said, there's some similarities to the first question a little bit. Uh, let me quote Charles Spurgeon here. I think it's a kind of humorous quote. Is there anyone in here who wishes to be holy, who wishes to be regenerate, to leave off sin and to walk in holiness? Anyone here that say yes to that? Yeah. Yes, says someone. I do, says another. Then God has elected you. But another says, no, I don't want to be holy. I don't want to give up my lust and my vices. Then why should you grumble that God hasn't elected you? For if you were elected, you wouldn't like it according to your own confession. Um, a couple of passages that, I, that I'm looking at. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 18. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Our grapes gathered from thorn bushes, our figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruits. Luke 9, 23 and 24. And he said to me, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In response to this question, I would say there's no really going through the motions when it comes to following Christ. Um, you can't go through the motions of dying to yourself. You either do or you do not. Um, if there is a desire to be holy, if there is a desire to chase after the things of God, um, then the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And God has regenerated you. He has brought you to life. You were dead in sin. He's brought you to life. 
um, if there is a, a dis- growing disgust of the sin in your life and a growing love for the things of God, um, then God has has called you to his own. A lot of times people will go through the motions because they want the gifts and they don't really want the giver, right? I mean, I want the blessings. I want God. I am blessed and highly favored, but they, there, there isn't a true dying to themselves. And they're going to fall in one of two camps. They're either going to fall in that camp of Matthew 7, where, where Jesus said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter. Or they're going to fall into that camp where Jesus is saying, hey, people are falling away because their faith wasn't real and wasn't genuine. Um, and so, so I, I don't really think there's just a generic going through the motions of our walk with Christ. Um, that if we are truly dying to ourselves, that's, that's serious. Why, w- why would I go through the motions of, 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 not drinking alcohol or not staying faithful to my wife or, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, why would I, why would I go through the motions? If that's truly what I desire, like how long can I keep that up? Um, and so, so I feel like if there is this desire to really grow in grace and knowledge of who Jesus is, and that's a pretty telltale sign that God has called you, God has chosen you. So in the last question, which kind of flows into Ephesians chapter two, which is a really fun question as well. Does God call some people to be evil? Um, And he used the example of of Judas. So great way to segue back into Ephesians. So let's look at the first couple of verses, first four verses in Ephesians um, chapter two. So this is where we're going to get back on track to Ephesians, but also unpack this verse a little, unpack this question a little bit more. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Everyone say we all. We all. Um, We all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Actually, just reading to verse 3. Let me read a couple other verses. Romans chapter three, verses nine through um, 18. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside together and they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruined. Way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And let me read Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So real quick. Let's do a recap of what we look like um, according to these few verses. We are dead in our sins. Uh, We follow the course of this world. We follow the prince of the power of the air, Satan. We are disobedient. We are selfish, following our own passions. We are children of wrath. We are not righteous. We are not good. We are not seeking God. We are liars. We are murderers. We're sick to our core. All right. So before... We start out on this question. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page that before Christ, right? Before Christ regenerated us, before he he made us alive, this is what we look like, okay? 
Now, throughout church history, there's been widespread agreement that the sin, the original sin, the sin of Adam, has caused some serious problems, serious fallout. Now, depending on which which path you follow, and this goes back centuries. You can go back um, to Pelagius and Augustine. You can go back to Luther and Erasmus. You're like, who are those guys? It doesn't matter. Um, It does, but in this context, uh, we're not gonna go that far. But it's this idea of how far how how much the the fall the sin affect humanity some schools will think that it affected us greatly but there's still this innate ability in ourselves to choose good um, that in ourselves we can still choose right and then there's other camp that says no 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 the fall affected our entire being that our mind is corrupted our bodies are corrupted this is why we die um, our wills are corrupted right that that everything about us to our core is corrupted, um, that it grips and us all together, right? Ephesians 4.18 says that our minds have become darkened. Psalm 73.26, that our minds have become weak. And the New Testament tells us that we are enslaved to these evil desires, um, that we aren't sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're naturally sinners, and that until God changes us, we're all evil. Now, we're not all evil to our max capacity, right? That you see some people that have fully gone to the dark side, if you will, that have fully given over to that, that depraved mind. Um, we, we read that God hardened Pharaoh's hearts. We read in Romans 1 that God gave these people over to a depraved mind. And so we're all wicked to begin with, However, there are some people that God allows to go deeper into their wickedness. Um, And so I've had people say, and maybe you've heard this before, you know, he's not a Christian, but he's a good person. Anyone ever heard him say that? Man, I would say that about my sisters while all along I know it's theologically way off base. And a lot of times I'll hear hear people say that, man, he's not a Christian, but he's a good person. I I get the heart behind it. And a lot of times I'll kind of just let it slide, but sometimes I've been in a, in a little bit of a, an argument or disagreement with somebody and they're like, man, I, I know I'm a good person. And I'm like, are you though? Like, I think, let, me, let me flip some, some scripture here and, and point maybe where you're not as good of a person as you think you are. But just so we're all on the same page, I kind of want to establish this idea of how much the fall affected us. Um, and so now I want to read Romans chapter nine, verses 14 through 23. And uh, remember, this is the idea. Does God call some people to be, to be evil? Romans chapter nine, verses 14 through 23. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. We hit on this last week, talking about predestination. It's not fair. Is God unjust in, in his decision? No, there's no, God is a just God. There is no injustice on God's part. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You'll say to me, why does God still find fault? Who can resist his will? I love verse 20 and it hit me super hard. Who are you? Oh man, to answer back to God. 
What is the molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show wrath, to make known his power, has endured? He's put up with their wickedness. These vessels who were prepared for wrath, prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. So we hit on this last week. There's no injustice on God's part. Um, and then we look at verse 17 and 18, which is really interesting because um, we look at specifically verse 18 where it's referencing Pharaoh. He has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whom he wills. Man, there are some people who God hardens their heart. And I think this might've been the vibe of the question. Um, you're saying, hey, does God create people for evil. Man, we're evil already. We're evil as is. We're wicked as is. What happens is that there are some people that God hardens their hearts and gives them over to their depraved mind. John MacArthur does a great sermon about these, these um, aspects that God uses to contain evil in society. Um, and I'm not going to get into it. It's a, great, it's a great sermon talking about these different aspects. And sometimes God removes those aspects and gives people over to a hardened heart. If we want to talk about Judas specifically, in John 17, Jesus referred to Judas as the son. Turn it up. Can you turn it on mic? It's number five. Turn it up. Yeah, there we go. I don't know. Let me know if that's better. There we go. Is that better? Um, there are some people in history that God has given over to a, to a uh, hardened heart. If we look at, at Judas specifically, as Jesus is praying in the high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, not one of these was lost. Talk about his disciples except for the one, the son of perdition. That word perdition means that he is destined for destruction. There was no hope for him from the beginning. It's pretty crazy language that Jesus is using. And then, and then we look at that and we're like, man, I just don't agree with that. I don't believe in that. And then verse 20, who are you? Who am I to say to God, why have you made me this way? Why did you make him that way? Why, didn't, why did you show mercy to him and not to him? Who are you? Who am I? Paul's saying, hey, shut your mouth. We have, does the clay have authority over the potter to tell him? Paul's saying the potter has every right out of the same lump of clay to make one for honorable use. This idea that this is the, the, the pot that's going to be made to hold this ceremonial purification water that's used in this, this purification rites, this honorable use or the potter could make one that's used as a toilet if he wanted to. The clay has no say. And they both serve a purpose. So who are we to holler back at God and say, man, I, you're unfair. There's no injustice in God. And God uses those, those vessels of destruction to make known his power and his glory. He used Pharaoh to show the Israelites his power and his glory. He hardened his heart. He let Pharaoh wander further into his wickedness. He used Judas to fulfill prophecies and to bring about his plan. Man, it's, it's crazy to me to think that, that I have the right to question what God does with me or what God does with somebody else. Who are you, O oh man? 
to answer back to God. Some pretty strong language from Paul. Man, and this is why, going back to Ephesians 1, this is why God choosing us is such an amazing thing. Because when we look at the, the, the fallenness, our, our, our utter wickedness, and to see that it's not just us praying a prayer at the end of a Sunday service, it's not just us just using nicer words or us just having a better attitude, but it is a complete regeneration that is brought about only by the power of God. Like, this is why it's, it's such, why I say salvation, I have no part of salvation. That it's all by God, for God, unto God. Now we can talk different about walking in obedience, but what I'm talking about right now is salvation, about God choosing us. Because without him first choosing me, we never would have chosen him in the begin, in the, to begin with. Um, the only way a person can escape this, this radical situation is by the Holy Spirit changing our core, by making us alive in Christ. And even still then, we stumble, we fall, right? But that complete glorification, that complete sanctification is awaiting for us in heaven. Next week, we'll get on to Ephesians chapter two a little bit more, um, unless we have more questions that uh, we need to, to address. But again, like I said at the beginning, I'll say again, man, you don't have to fully agree with me, but if, if I'm asked a question, um, I'll try my best to give an answer that I, as I'm looking through scripture, that it's not based on my feelings. I think a lot of times this is where we get in trouble. It's like, man, I just don't feel like that's the truth. Well, scripture should outweigh our feelings. Truth of God should outweigh our feelings. Um, and if, if you disagree, cool, search scriptures. I was talking to my wife and she said, hey, I really like the midweeks because it causes me to want to dig and, and research and, and ask questions and, and figure out things on my own. Awesome, awesome. Man, I hope you, you don't take what I say at face value, but I hope that as you go home from here, Man, you look at some of these scriptures, you say, okay, so what's the other side of the argument here? Let me see what scriptures say about that. But man, we don't have to agree, but know that I love you. I still think God loves you. I still think you're going to heaven. Um, and we can all be happy and, and um, walk in unity. All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. God, thanking you for your word. God, thanking you for um, your love for us. God, your call on our lives. God, I pray that we would walk in obedience, walk in a way that honors you and glorifies you in all that we do. God, strengthen us. God, keep us, bring us back next week. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.